With me now, please, to the portion of Scripture we read in Matthew chapter 5. The subject tonight is the portrait of the perfect preacher. There's only one perfect preacher. So we'll be looking at Christ tonight, a portrait of the perfect preacher. Before we do so, let's seek the Lord's help now in prayer. O Lord our God, we gather again tonight around the word of the Lord. We pray that thou would open the word to us tonight. Again, Lord, we think of that time in the synagogue in Nazareth. And the minister gave the book to Christ. And we read that Christ opened the book. Lord, we would say tonight, here's thy word. Lord, open the book to us. We think, Lord, of that time and the days of Ezra and how they built a pulpit and the people gathered at the water gate and their cry was, bring the book. Oh, Lord, may that be our cry. Give us the book. Give us the word tonight. And I ask again, now we'll give help. Paul was able to say, when I am weak, then am I strong. And Lord, help us by the power of thy Spirit to preach the word. And in preaching the word, we'll always preach Christ. We'll always speak well of him. And speak well of his finished work and his shed blood. We do ask all these things. In the Saviour's holy and precious name. Amen. Portrait of the perfect preacher. Our text is the opening two verses of Matthew 5. Verses 1 and 2. And the Lord seeing the multitudes. He went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. The chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the Gospel of Matthew contains the words of what is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon preached by Christ is the longest discourse of the Savior that's recorded in the Scriptures, covering, as we've said, three chapters. Delivered on a mount, there is much speculation and theory and debate as to which mountain it was regard to the location of this sermon that the Lord delivered. I feel that the location of the mount is not that important. But what is important is the man or the master 
and his message that he delivered on the mount. That's more, more important. The Lord is more important than the location. Because what was said there on the mountain came from the lips of the greatest preacher that ever set foot on this earth. We often wonder what it would be like to sit in New Park Street or the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London and listen to C.H. Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers. What must it have been like to sit in his church? Congregation of 5,000. And time and again he would say to his own congregation to stay at home or go elsewhere to let others come in who wouldn't normally be able to gain access to the building while Spurgeon's own congregation was there. He would go and preach in the Exeter Hall to a congregation of 25,000. He was, as I said, described as the prince of preachers. When we look to Christ, he's the king of preachers. How true are those words? John 7 verse 46. Never man spake like this man. Pharisees sent their officers to arrest the Lord and they came back empty handed. The Lord's preaching had arrested them. And that's what they said. Never man spake like this man. That tells us one, he was a special preacher. Never man spake like this man. And we could say that he was a simple preacher. Where he preached profound truth, revealing the hidden things of God, yet he spoke in a way. Now we read in Mark 12, 37, he spoke in a way that the common people heard him gladly. That is, the ordinary man in the street, as we would say, the common people heard him gladly. He was a simple preacher. He was a special preacher. He was a spirit-anointed preacher. We read in Mark, sorry, in Luke 4, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. There he was, with the poor and the lowly, walking the dusty roads of Galilee and Jerusalem and Capernaum. That's where he felt most at home, with the poor. They heard him preach. We see that he was also a searching preacher. For when he spoke his word, searched the hearts of the hearers. You know that from what we read in John 8 and verses 7 and 9. You can look up those verses. John 8 verses 7 and 9. He was a searching preacher. You see in Christ we have the portrait 
of the perfect preacher. And here in this sermon, which is delivered on the mount, we have the perfect preacher and the focus of attention is on him. On him. Let us then, in turn tonight, focus our attention on him. May the Lord give us eyes to see him. So as we consider the Lord tonight, one is first of all to consider the master and the multitudes. The master and the multitudes. We read in the opening verse, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, There's the master, there you have the multitudes. Before the Lord delivered his sermon on the mount, we are told that told something about the preacher himself. We see how his preaching attracted the multitudes. His disciples came unto him. Here we see then the attraction. Christ was the attraction and his preaching. What was it that drew the multitudes to the mountain that day? It was Christ and his preaching. Look at the chapter 4 of Matthew. And there in the final few verses, Matthew 4, verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogue and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Now look at verse 25. And there followed him Great multitudes of people from Galilee, from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. They followed him. Regarding the attraction, we notice, first of all, the listeners. In the closing verses of chapter 4, we are informed about what his ministry involved. Look again at verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogue and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had palsy and he healed them. Yes, lives were changed. Lives were transformed by the healing power of Christ. But we take note of the fact that which came first was his preaching. Again we read, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching. See? That came first. You read about his teaching and his preaching, then you read about his healing. 
The healing came second. Of course, we know there are some boys going about North America and they think the healing's all the thing, so-called. Healing comes first. You never hear any preaching. I say healing, so-called. But here you look at the ministry of Christ and his preaching came first. So when the multitudes gathered around him in the mount, it was to listen to the mighty, masterful preacher deliver the word. Because in the three chapters which record the Sermon on the Mount, listen, in those three chapters, Matthew, Five, six, and seven. That record the Sermon on the Mount. There was no healing done. The people weren't there to be healed. They were there to hear. They had come to hear the word of the Lord. They had come to hear the mighty preacher. So the multitude were gathered there to hear Christ preach the sermon. Isn't that the way it ought to be? Always to be? The preaching of the word and the preaching of Christ always should come first. Whatever else takes place in a service, the preaching is central. The preaching takes the prominent place in any service. It must be the preaching of the word. And when the people come to the house of God, it is for the preacher. They don't come to God's house to be entertained. They don't come to God's house to be made to feel good. They come to God's house for the preaching of the word and for the preaching of Christ. That's why before we do, I do take up the preaching in any service. I always pray that. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Give me power to preach the word and to preach Christ. I always want to preach Christ. If you don't preach Christ, you don't have much to give people. And the people came to that mountain that day to listen to Christ preach. To preach the word. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. He as it were took Timothy under his wing. Give him lots of advice about preaching. And in his closing address to Timothy, Paul said, Preach the word. Be incident, season out of season. Reprove, rebuke. Be incident, season. Whether people like it or not, you preach the word. Whether people are against you or for you. Paul said to Timothy, Son, you preach the word. You preach the word. And what did Christ himself say? 
John 12 verse 32 I if I be lifted up from the earth I will draw all men unto me that's what the Lord said I if I be lifted up from the earth I will draw all men unto me Christ is the one that draws sinners Christ is the one that draws believers to himself there must be the lifting up of the Lord Jesus so those whose ears are tuned to the word, that's what they will always want to hear, is the preaching of the word. Remember, when we come into the free church, that's why I saved in 69, and we attended the free church before that. I remember going to a meeting one night, in a town called Portadown. With two preachers that night. Dr. Alan Cairns. The Reverend John Douglas. And we sat there. Listening to those men. And I, I knew you all know. You've all heard those men. They don't preach sermonettes now. And we sat there and listened to those two men preach the word. One preached, a hymn or a psalm was sung, and then the other got up and preached. It was just a preaching service. Boy, did it thrill your soul to sit there and listen to the preaching of the word. If it thrilled our souls listening to those two men preach, what must it have been like for the multitudes on the mountain that day to listen to Christ? To listen to him preach. And those who have a desire to know more about Christ, that's all they will want to hear. Tell me more about Jesus. Tell me more. More about Jesus would I know. That's what Paul said. We preach Christ crucified. That's Paul's message. We preach Christ crucified. So regarding this attraction, we have noticed the listeners. And then you have the location. Those who wanted to hear this great preacher didn't mind Travelling many miles. Look at the verse 25 of the previous chapter. Chapter 4. And there followed him. Followed him. Great multitudes of people. From Galilee. And from Decapolis. And from Jerusalem. And from Judea. And from beyond Jordan. They followed him. Five locations. They didn't mind traveling the distance. They were going to hear Christ preach. I know there's some in this congregation. And you have a few miles to travel to get to God's house. Just as I have a family in our congregation... And they live an hour and 15, 20 minutes 
And they come in the morning and go home and then they come back again at night. That's nearly four hours in their vehicle on the Sabbath day. But they're there to hear the word. And here we have the listeners, the people who came from these five different locations. Now we don't know the exact miles between the different locations, but I know this from Jerusalem to Galilee is a hundred miles. They didn't mind traveling that distance. They came from far. They journeyed because they were going to hear Christ preach. Notice how verse 25 begins. And there followed him. They weren't following a mere man. They weren't following Peter, James or John. They were following him. Mentioned Nicholson this morning. <laughs> Nicholson, of course, said things that others wouldn't dare to say. But in those big gospel rallies in the Ulster Hall in Belfast, if he saw women there, sometimes he would tell them to go home. Get up and go home. You shouldn't be at home making a meal for your husband. Because he had just come straight from work. Straight from the shipyard. They had walked all the way from the shipyard to the center of Belfast to listen to him preach. As I say, they hadn't come to hear Paul or Peter or James or John or Andrew. They followed him. It's easy to follow the man. We need to follow him. To follow Christ their following was after him. Their focus was on him. Their feet took them to him because Christ was the attraction for them on the mount that day. All they wanted to hear was Christ. All they wanted to see was Christ. All they wanted to hear was the preaching of the word. Like the Greeks that day, you remember they came to the disciples and said, Sir, we would see Jesus. They wanted to see Christ. Do we have the same longing? Before we come to the Lord's house on the Sabbath day, is that our prayer? Lord, help the preacher to preach Christ. Lord, when I enter thy house, may I have eyes for no one but Christ. I want to see him. You'd want to see him, wouldn't you? You'd want to see one who's altogether lovely. You know, in the time of the year, whenever the roses are in full bloom, you're attracted to them, aren't you? You see a garden... And you instinctively go over to the rose. And look at the beauty of the rose. But well, sure, Christ is the rose of Sharon. 
And he's the lily of the valleys. He's the fairest of 10,000. He's altogether lovely. I often think of those words again in the Song of Solomon, chapter 5. When the daughters of Jerusalem came to the bride and asked her, What is thy beloved more than another beloved? And she starts to describe him. And then I personally feel she got to a point where she had exhausted her vocabulary in describing her beloved. And so she finished off. She concluded by saying, Yea, he is altogether lovely. Doesn't matter where you look, he's lovely. And then she said, This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. And you go into the chapter 6, and they begin to search and seek the beloved with her. She had done a good job speaking about the loveliness of Christ. You notice also the attention or the attraction, sorry, but there's also the ability. That is the ability of the Lord Jesus for we read and seeing the multitudes. The word seeing indicates more than just visual sight, but seeing with perception. It's not just looking on something or someone, but looking upon a person and knowing all about them. That's the word that's used here. The Lord knew what was in the heart of everyone who made up that multitude and who gathered that day on the mount to hear him preach. John chapter 2, verse 23. And when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed on his, in his name, when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. They believed in him because of the miracles. But they had no change of heart. They had not been regenerated because the Lord said, Many believed in his name when he saw the miracles which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them. They were impressed as miracles. But then we read there that he knew what was in. And the Lord Jesus on the mount that day knew what was in the heart of every man and that multitude. Because he's God. He knows all things. He knows our hearts here this evening. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows what our attitude is to the word. He knows. He knew what was in the heart of every man. 
and the spiritual needs of every man and the spiritual state of every man. So when he delivered the Sermon on the Mount that day, his words were directed at the heart. That's just one evidence that Christ is the perfect preacher. He knows the heart of man and gives the right word for the spiritual need of the heart. That's why when we come to God's house, we should come with a desire and an intention to give full attention to the word. Because the Lord is speaking to us and he's speaking to our hearts. He wants us to be better children of his. And surely we want to be better Christians. We need the word. Sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. You have the attraction, you have the ability, and then you have the attention. Upon seeing the multitudes, the Savior paid attention to them. Whether he was speaking to a multitude or addressing two or three that were gathered together in his name, the Lord always attended to their needs by giving them a word. So seeing the multitude and understanding their spiritual needs, he delivered a word to meet and to satisfy those needs. Here was a multitude that had come to hear Christ preach, and of course, they were not disappointed. Of course, they wouldn't be. Sometimes, people may go and hear a preacher, and they hear them on a regular basis, and they may say one Sabbath, hey, it wasn't just as good today as it was last week. Nobody would ever say that about Christ. Look at the verses we have at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We read in Matthew 7 and at the close of the chapter 7, at the close of the Sermon on the Mount, we read, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings that people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. They were astonished. They could hardly take in what they had heard. They were astonished at his preaching. So the Lord is something for the people. A word that they heard and a word that they heeded would lead them to live better lives. And isn't that what we want? We want a word that will lead us on to living a better life for Christ. To make us better believers. Sinners need to hear words whereby they might be aware of their sin and their need of salvation. Nothing else will do. Nothing but the preaching of the pure, unadulterated word of God. Nothing, not, nothing else will do. Must be the word. 
must be the word. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Why would he be ashamed of such a gospel? Oh, a lot of boys today are. They are ashamed of the gospel. They've taken their pulpits and they've moved them over to the side. And the pulpit that now has become a stage. More interested in the drum kit and the electric guitars. And where's the preaching now? It's pushed over to the side. They're ashamed of the word. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God. You all know the word power is the word we get our English word dynamite from. It is a dynamite of heaven. Why would you abandon that? Why would you be ashamed of such a gospel? That's the word needs to be preached. Sermons that will convert sinners. Sermons that will change lives. Sermons that will condemn sin. Sermons that will conquer Satan. That's how Christ preached. And he is the perfect preacher. So we go on. With the master and the multitudes. Next we have the master on the mountain. We're told that the Lord Jesus seeing the multitudes... He went up into a mountain. So this sermon was delivered on a mountain. Here we have, first of all, the place. Place where the sermon was delivered was on the mountain. We know that through the years of the Lord's earthly ministry... The Saviour often was found on a mountain. You read through the Gospels and you'll find that the Lord Jesus went up into a mountain. Those words repeated a number of times. Here we see he went up into a mountain to preach. And then there were those times when he went up into a mountain to pray. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Luke 6 and verse 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Luke chapter 9. And there in Luke 9, in verse 28, And it came to pass, about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. That's the course where he was transfigured before them. And they saw Christ in his glory. I often say, you never want to miss a prayer meeting because you never know what the Lord will do at a prayer meeting. 
Peter, James and John went up that mountain with Christ to a prayer meeting. They had no idea they were going to see Christ glorified before their very eyes. See? Never know what the Lord will do at a prayer meeting. So many believers look upon the prayer meeting as a dull affair. Ah, they know nothing about it. Peter, James and John went to a prayer meeting, or rather, the Lord took them to the prayer meeting. Isn't that what brings us to the prayer meeting? Isn't that what takes us to the prayer meeting? It's Christ. We're going to the prayer meeting. We're going to meet with him. We're going to meet with Christ. And sometimes... Maybe we're reluctant to go to the prayer meeting. He has to take us. And sure, when we get there and after the prayer meeting, aren't we glad we went? So here he was again. He was in the mountain. He prayed all night. He went up into a mountain with Peter, James and John to pray. Matthew 5, he went up into a mountain to preach. And then there was another mountain he went up into. And it was there he went to be punished. Because that mountain was called Mount Calvary. And on that mountain he did preach and he did pray. And he was punished. He, his own self, bare our sins in his own body on the tree. Christ was often on a mountain, so mountains bore witness to very special happenings when the Saviour ascended those mountains. But another mountain comes into view. We've looked at the Lord on the mountain, but does this not remind us about the law and the mountain? In the days of Moses, we read in John 1 and verse 15, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law was given to Moses. And we know what happened. He went up into a mountain, and God came down on that mountain. And the law was given. We read in Luke, exactly, uh, Exodus 19 and verse 20, when the law was given on Sinai, the people were ordered, Take heed to yourselves that ye, be, that ye go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. There's a difference. The Lord went up into the mount in Matthew 5. In Exodus the Lord came down to the mount to give Moses the law. God gave the command that man was not to go up into the mountain. But here we have in Matthew 5, the people did go up into the mountain to hear the great preacher, the king of preachers, the perfect preacher, You notice in the verse 1, 
his disciples came unto him. That was the attraction. They came unto him. So we've noticed the place. We notice also the path. Once again, looking at those words in verse 1, we are told that seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain and his disciples came unto him. The disciples mentioned here would not necessarily be the twelve, but others of his followers. But this gives us an interesting thought and truth. The preaching of Christ will always lift people up. Yes, it lifted up the disciples that day geographically. They went up into a mountain. But boy, did it lift them up spiritually. And when you sit under the preaching of the word and the preaching of Christ, that will lift you up spiritually. It'll lift you up. And sure, when we're down and discouraged and defeated, what do you need? You need a word from the Lord. And when you get a word from the Lord, it lifts you up, doesn't it? It lifts you up. And they got a word from the Lord that day. It lifted them, lifted them up, lifted up a multitude. Took a multitude up into a mountain. Got them onto higher ground. Now what we often sing, I want to scale the utmost heights. And catch... A gleam of glory bright, but still I'll pray till heaven I'll find. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lift my up. Set my feet on higher ground. That's what we want, isn't it? Where the air is pure and ethereal. We're away from the world. And all that occupies the minds and the thoughts of the worldling. We only get on higher ground. As I said, where the air is pure and ethereal. Listening to the preaching of the word will do that. And the multitude followed Christ. And it took them up to higher ground. Give the place and the path. And you notice the posture. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came on to him. So he sat down to preach. It wasn't the first time. The Lord had on other occasions sat down to preach. We read in Luke, in the chapter 4. Luke 4, in verse 20, he, there he is, he's in the synagogue in Nazareth where he had been brought up. And we read in verse 20, and, and, and he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. That's the way it should be. Fastened. Couldn't take their eyes off him. 
no wonder that he's altogether lovely. Couldn't take their eyes off him. You go over to the chapter 5 of Luke. Now we read in verse 3. And he entered into one of the ships which was Simon's and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. You'll find the same thing over in John 8 and verse 2. <coughs> so there must have been something significant about the fact that the Lord Jesus sat down. I believe we'll find the answer in, Luke, in Matthew 23. You turn to Matthew 23. In Matthew 23 in the opening three verses. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples saying. The scribes and the Pharisees sit. In Moses seat. They sit. All therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. See, the Lord said that the Pharisees and the scribes sat in Moses' seat. That is, they delivered the law of Moses. And whenever they delivered the law of Moses, they sat down. And notice what the Lord said. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, do it. That observe and do. Then of course he condemned the Pharisees and the scribes because he says, Oh, they teach the law, but they don't do it. But the Lord said, whatever they say, you give heed to it and you do it. What were they delivering? They were delivering the law of Moses. They sat down in the seat of Moses. What was that seat? It was the seat of authority. Now what the Lord said? You observe and do. Because those Pharisees and the scribes, they spoke with authority because they were delivering the word of God as given to Moses, the law of the Lord. Now you apply that to the Savior. And the Lord is sitting as he delivers the Sermon on the Mount. And what's he doing? He's taking up that posture of authority. In other words, all that heard him that day were to give attention to what he was saying and were to heed what he was saying and do what he said. Do you ever read through the Sermon on the Mount? Do you ever list the number of subjects he dealt with in the Sermon on the Mount? If you go through those three chapters, you'll find that he dealt with more than 20 subjects or 20 themes that the Christian is to give attention to. Twenty or more. Remember what he said? Ye are the salt of the earth. That's what you are. Ye are the light 
of the world. There's 20 such subjects that the Lord dealt with. And when he delivered that word, he did it with authority. We are to give attention to what he said. As the Lord said to those who heard what the scribes and the Pharisees said about the law of Moses, the Lord said, that observe and do, because they're sitting in the seat of authority. And Christ, whenever he preached, he sat down, he was in the seat of authority. See? And the Lord delivers his word through whoever's preaching and occupying the pulpit. We are to receive it as a word that comes from God and delivered with authority. It's not something we say, oh well, I don't really fancy doing that. No, I don't think I'll bother with that. Whatever is delivered by the preacher out of this word, the Lord says, observe and do. That's what he tells us. Observe and do it. Go on and finally we have the master and the multitudes, the master and the mountain, and then you have the master and his ministry. We are here told a little about the master's actual preaching ministry in these opening verses of Matthew 5. We see, first of all, his plainness. His plainness. That's what is meant by those words. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth. He opened his mouth. That speaks to us of his plainness. He opened his mouth. In other words... He didn't mutter or mumble his words. You never read. You never read in the Gospels of anyone ever coming to Christ and saying to him, would you repeat that word? I didn't just quite catch it. I didn't hear what you said. He opened his mouth and he taught them saying, He had something to say. And it was plain. When the preacher is dealing with eternal matters in a sermon, it is important that the people hear him. Paul said, Of our gospel be hid in his head from those that are lost. We cannot afford to be complicated when it comes to preaching the gospel. We're to be like Christ and be plain so that everybody understands. Everybody understands what is being said. And at the same time, the preacher shouldn't be using words that go over the people's heads. And one may turn to another in the pew and say, what's he talking about? What was that big word he used? 
You look at the preaching of Christ, he never used big words. The common people heard him gladly. They understood him. The ordinary man, the poor people, the beggars at the side of the road understood Christ. His plainness. Remember what Paul's prayer was. Ephesians 6 verse 19. That I may open my mouth boldly. May open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. The preaching of Christ. We've noted the plainness. Preaching of Christ, it was profitable. It was profitable. Of course it would be. No one could have listened to the preaching of the Lord Jesus and not profited from it. And here we read that when he opened his mouth, listen, he taught them. That's important. He taught them. So Christ, when he spoke, he taught. He had a teaching ministry. He did not speak to entertain. He didn't speak to get the praise of men. He didn't speak to tickle the ears of his hearers. He didn't speak to make people feel good about themselves. He taught them. The people were taught by Christ. And notice, it was his teaching ministry that caused the people to follow him. Look at Matthew 4 again and verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching. See, it comes first. He went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel. Christ was a teaching preacher. Matthew 9, verse 35. Verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching. In their synagogue and preaching. See, comes first. Teaching and preaching. Matthew 11, verse 1. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. That's what you need. All who heard Christ profited greatly from his ministry because he taught them. May in the free church in every congregation throughout North America and throughout the world may men occupy the pulpit who are teaching preachers. 
Spend time in the Word and study the Word. I know of some men, not saying in our church, in our denomination, but I know of some men, ministers, and they spend half an hour on the internet and look up sermons and take down notes, and that's their message for the Lord's day. That's a disgrace. In other words, they get a word from the internet, but they don't get a word from the Lord. No. To get a word from the Lord, there needs to be prayer, and there needs to be study, and study, and more study. There's no shortcut to the preaching of the word. It must be hours spent studying the word if we're going to teach the people in the congregation. Christ was a teacher. Remember what Nicodemus said? Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. Thou art a teacher. come from God and again Paul told Timothy these things command and teach 1st Timothy 4.11 <coughs> so the ministry was plain, the ministry was profitable and the ministry, his ministry was personal again we look at verse 2 and verse 2 and he opened his mouth and taught them taught them as we've said he directed his word to the heart it was personal he taught them his words he directed at those who came to hear him they came to hear Christ preach and so he taught them and all the words of this sermon he applied personally to every heart that's the mark of a great preacher that's the mark of the ministry of Christ he's the perfect preacher The theological hall. Brother Benjamin will soon know all about it. Mr. Cook would give us a text. You single out one student. I say, I want you to preach on that next week. So you went home, you had a week to study. You come back the next week. It was your turn to get up in front of the students and preach. And as you would get up and deliver the word, Mr. Cook would then say to the students, All right, I want you to criticize them. Maybe there's some words he repeated, some mannerism, some way that he 
interpreted the word or whatever it was. But every student had to criticize the man who just delivered the word. That would take the wind out of your sails, all right. No one could criticize Christ. He's the perfect preacher. We can model ourselves on him. Make me like Christ. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts tonight. Let's bow in prayer. O Lord our God, we thank thee for such a wonderful Saviour. Such a wonderful person. We're glad he's one of us without sin. He's one of us. He ministered to the poor. He'll have time for the beggar. His sympathy for the sick. He's moved with compassion when he sees the starving. He's one of us. O Lord God, write thy word upon our hearts tonight. And use that word even to lead us into a closer walk with the Lord that will want to be more like him. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Lord, give us that spiritual hunger, we pray. Thy Lord be with us, as we part the one from the other and leave the house of God and go to our homes, grant traveling mercy to all. Again, remember the Richardson family. Whatever arrangements have to be made this week, Lord, make the crooked places straight and the rough places smooth. And even, Lord, we think of Benjamin and Ethan and how friendly they were with Paul. Minister to them also. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be our abiding portion now and until the day breaks and the shadows all flee away. Amen.